0: Welcome to Breaker Culture Weekly. The guys from BreakerCulture.com help pull back the curtains and give you insight into the hobby. Sit back and enjoy interviews, product breakdowns, and hobby analysis so you can get your edge in the marketplace. And now, to the show.
1: Hey, what's going on folks? Ty from Breaker Culture and this is episode 77 of Breaker Culture Weekly. Thank you so much for joining Uh, If you are a basketball card collector, NBA fan, or if you are interested in learning more about analytics and how to approach different strategies, today's episode is going to be one that you'll love because I get to spend an hour and 20 minutes with Chris from the House of Jordan's podcast. Chris, um, someone I met a few months ago, and uh, we've kind of been going back and forth. Um, You know, I've learned a lot from just listening to his podcast. It's one that I mentioned that I think you need to add to your subscription list, and there's only twelve episodes out there and they're they're long episodes. They put a lot of content and thought into their episodes him his wife Christina, who's awesome, and then uh his cousin Brian is awesome too. um They have a great dynamic together, and I think it's one of those that uh is an essential listen for you as a basketball card collector as a sports card uh investor now today we do a couple things. the first half is just breaking down his history. We talk about House of Jordans. We talk about you know Michael Jordan, the eighties, nineties era, and then we talk about the state of the current hobby. Kind of lessons to be learned from the past, and kind of our both of our perspectives on what's happening right now in the state of the hobby. So that's that's fun. And then we the second half we really have fun because we're starting a new segment that we're going to try to do once a month, and it's called Can You Get Behind This? And the idea here is. We both bring our hot takes to the table, uh, specifically around that that point of the NBA season, where we we think we can make a, you know some assumptions, and we try to defend them, and we try to uh, we try to convince the other guy to get behind it. And uh, we have some fun ones in there. There's six total hot takes in the back half of the episode. and You can kind of see where our minds are with uh, specific uh, pieces of the hobby, and then also we you know, obviously wrapping in some of the, the all the hobby um, the hobby pieces of that is really fun too. So. Can you get behind this? Really interested to see what you think about Luka Doncic being the, the real, the true Uncle Drew. Um, so yeah, listen for that one. But uh, you're going to love this episode, guys. Hour and 20 minutes of goodness. Now, before we get into that, two things. One, be sure to go check out our YouTube channel. We're putting a lot more content out there. I'm trying to give you a, a different perspective on the YouTube content that we put out. Thank you so much for getting behind that. Some of the ladders, some of the analytics that we do, some of the ROI breaks. Just trying to give you a visually Uh, a different uh, perspective on some of the reports that I throw out there. So subscribe to us. The link is in the show notes and you'll get alerted when we put out new content. Try to do something once a week on YouTube, sometimes twice a week. Okay. Second thing is, I've I've pushed this the last couple episodes. Our Patreon has exploded the last few weeks. Um, Thank you for the new 15 plus that joined this week. Um, Really, really cool to see that community growing. Yes, you have to pay to join. And the idea there is I'm putting a lot of exclusive content out there for you. Um, Things that I just don't have the time to put full reports on, but I'm putting out um, just something every other day uh, for you guys to break down and learn about products and things that I'm seeing. Real quick nuggets for you with some some really fun visual analytics to support it. Um, My idea there, look, is if, if I can save you $15 to $35 a month, which I think is extremely easy for me to do, um, on a future purchase, on an investment, and you're gonna—it's gonna pay for itself, guys. This will pay for itself, and you will you will be thankful that you join the Patreon. And more importantly, you get to join a group that is focused on the same thing as you, and you get to connect with them. So, highly advise you to check that out, and uh, you can find that that link in the show notes as well. Enjoy this conversation with Chris, and thank you so much for supporting everything we do at Breaker Culture. See ya. good morning. How are you? Good morning, Ty. Doing well. How are you? I'm good. Pretty early for you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for making this work. What is it for you? It's only 8 o'clock, I guess. We got an extra hour of sleep last night.
0: We did. We did get an extra hour of sleep. So it was funny when we were coordinating I was trying to give you you know, an early time. <laughs> I, was, I was like, okay, I think I can do about this early on this day. And I realized we would gain an hour of sleep uh, over going from Saturday night into today. So I gave you a really early time, but you were like, no, we don't got to do it that early. We can move it back a little bit. And so we found a nice compromise on (laughs) that.
1: We did. It was funny because I I got up this morning. I was like, gosh, it's 7 o'clock and I feel this good? Because we stayed up late. We were
0: watching the new uh,
1: Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime. We got hooked. And we stayed up late. But yeah, didn't realize it was uh, daylight savings time. We'll take it. It's always a nice surprise.
0: Absolutely. Happy accident. I'll take it.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly. Are you – you're a Jack Ryan fan?
0: Have you watched, did you watch the first season? I didn't, but, you know, I read the books as a kid. Okay. So I I need to get into that. Yeah. It's, uh, first season was outstanding. Second one's pretty good, too. So I'm a big Krasinski fan. Oh, yeah. That guy's a stud. He, he totally, you know, modified his, uh, his career trajectory, too, from, from, you know, his, his origins to now an action movie star. It's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, it is. It's funny. Like, he, he, he has this kind of this staple now of being one of those intelligent kind of action stars, almost like he kind of crosses the line between drama and action. Not a lot of guys can do that, but he's, he's done it. It's impressive.
0: Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, for sure.
1: But anyway, we're not, we're not here to talk about movies. Uh, house of Jordans, you and I connected a few months ago. I got hooked. I love what you guys are doing. Um, I'm really interested to hear kind of your background. First off, kind of tell all of, the breaker culture listeners kind of what your story is and then uh you and i have some fun stuff to talk about with the nba so i'm excited about that but maybe just tell us about house of jordans and kind
0: of your story in the collecting world and let's go from there is that cool yeah i'd love to man and cool. you know th- this the story kind of starts with in in a certain sense with breaker culture because uh it was so so christina and i who are two of the three hosts along with my cousin uh brian of the house of Jordans podcast well before we started that podcast Uh, we were on a road trip Christina and I were and I was looking for content to listen to and I just kind of decided let me see if I can you know find any sports card related content and I found the breaker culture podcast and this would have been going on about a year ago now (laughs) and I I found the podcast and you know I was instantly hooked especially because at that point in time Christina and I were very tepidly getting involved and you know kind of opening more and more modern product for ourselves and so we had you know as a pastime we sort of would watch group breaks on YouTube in fact some of the group breakers that we were watching were were people that you had interviews of so it was kind hmm. of amazing to you know you know kind of get this whole behind the scenes look at at, at the breaking thing from breaker culture so i found your podcast i just probably I mean you didn't at this point in time some of your earlier episodes actually weren't on iTunes and I remember being like frustrated because I literally consumed every episode that you <laughs> I had. had I was like where's the first ones like where? where's the rest of them right so so it started with you know that and I was like you know th- this podcast content lane like I, I think there's really something fun and exciting and creative here that's going on and so yeah. you know I kind of talked to Christina and Brian and I said guys, you know, look at the look at this breaker culture podcast and I said, you know There's there's some other great content out there and um, you know, one of those was uh, cardboard chronicles So Mm -hmm. like you and cardboard chronicles were kind of like the two inspirations um, For us and I said, what if we tried to do something like this and they were like, yeah, why not? Let's give it a shot And so one one day um, late last year we turned on a microphone and talked for about four hours (laughs) And uh, that was our first podcast. You are like so, just you know the listeners day. set aside a half of their day. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I had a very funny comment on Twitter the other day. Like somebody wrote me a message. They were like, uh, "Look, man, you know we get that you guys got a lot to say, and that's great. But uh, do you think you could at least give us some timestamps? Mm. Uh, just, just you know, at least so we could kind of fast forward." And I was like, "Yeah, I think that's a it's a pretty reasonable request." You know, at first I didn't want to put too much effort into it honestly i just want to be able to turn on a microphone like a sunday evening and then just be done but but now it's becoming increasingly researched and prepared and stuff like that but um you know and and, and now there's there's been we we just have a very small humble podcast man but but now there's been a lot of a lot more eyes and ears have been coming over since you very generously gave us a shout out in in a previous episode i mean i was looking at our our data and i was like wow we got a ton of new listeners recently and I think I know why, so I also want to give you a shout. It was, it was kind of weird seeing this whole thing kind of come full circle here, but you know, here, here we are. That's
1: funny. Well, first off, thank you for
0: the, the shout-out. I appreciate that. Um, it's cool,
1: cool to hear some of that stuff you put in the sweat, and you're like, oh, people actually do consume this and get a lot out of it. So that's cool. Um, so when you guys started it then, what, what was kind of your – what was your MO? What were you thinking when, we, when you turned on the mic the first time? What was your
0: approach kind of going into it? Yeah. Just see uh, what happens? Well, the approach was um, so, so I have had an Instagram page going for about three, a little over three years. Okay. And the Instagram page is oriented around, you know, data driven market analysis. Originally it was for Michael Jordan cards, um, which is what I kind of always have specialized in, but now it's grown into something bigger. And, uh, you know, w- the one thing I always wanted to do, man, was just find a way to add value to mm-hmm. the hobby. Um, and I, and I felt like that was kind of a lane where I could do that. And then I just kind of wanted, we, we all kind of wanted to make the podcast an extension of, of market analysis and try and, you know, offer collectors something interesting to listen to. And then, you know, on occasion regale them with a few stories of our, you know, collecting, uh, experiences and, you know, going to like, Christina has a section called the card store tour where she talks about, you know, different, uh, shops that we've been to and stuff like that. So You know, we kind of try to give a well-rounded picture and Brian is like he's like the color commentator you know, he just (laughs) I'll say something and then he'll he'll be thinking about it and he'll give like a really interesting and You know sophisticated take on what I said and and so, you know, we kind of have a cool dynamic going there But the 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 thought was always let's try and like just let's just try to say something as intelligent as we can and Let's try and say something insightful and something that you know keeps the discussion rolling in the hobby. So that was, mm. that was kind of always our approach. That's funny.
1: So, so Brian's the Bill Walton, is what you're saying? Oh, you said, <laughs> except you said intelligent though. So I guess that doesn't really, that doesn't fly. Well, you know,
0: Bill Walton is a polarizing figure. I happen to be on the, the side of Bill Walton as a savant genius. So, you know, if <laughs> I, I would take it. I don't know how Brian would feel about that comparison. That's funny. You and I were talking earlier. I, I've been impressed
1: with Christina, man. She's, uh, she knows her stuff. Like it, it's it's actually refreshing to hear a woman who really knows her stuff in the sports car world. We it need is. more of it. We need a lot more of it. It's kind, it's it kind of
0: fun. Oh, I, t- I totally agree. Um, Christina, I don't think Brian or I would, would have any disagreements, but we said Christina might be the, 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 the cleverest or the shrewdest among us. And, you know, <laughs> she picks up stuff very, very quickly. She has a lot of, you know, things to say. She's very opinionated, you know, Um, and, and across our, our uh, card store tours and our, hobby adventures, you know, there, there's actually been a, a, a pretty decent amount of women who are actively involved in the hobby and, and have a lot of really interesting takes, a lot of interesting PCs and, and, you know, interesting approaches. So it, it, it's nice to have, you know, Christina's kind of, you know, a voice for that, for that point of view. Yeah, very, that's very cool. Yeah, you're right. And I think
1: on the, on the group breaking side, you're starting to see more women pop up and start their own group breaking business or kind of carve out a little piece of business. It's kind of fun to see. And, and Christine is doing some of that now,
0: right? That's, she sure is. That's awesome. She sure is. Yeah. You can, you can catch her on uh bullpen. LA's Instagram page on Saturdays doing uh live breaks. So kids stop watching cartoons and Head over <laughs> and watch Christina. <laughs> uh, good luck. Good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. What was your favorite cartoon growing up? Oh yeah. man, you're, you're hitting me with the tough questions right away. Uh <laughs> I man, you know, I used to like, uh, I used to like Batman. He's like Batman cartoons. Oh, and Rugrats, I was big on Rugrats too.
1: Rugrats, nice. So Rugrats wasn't that one that was? Was that a Saturday morning cartoon? Because that was a Nickelodeon show, right? Or was that one of those like, sure after was.
0: school show? yeah that was after school that you know there there was that legendary lineup you had like Doug you had Hey Arnold you had Rugrats oh you had all my these, goodness yes you know all those throwback Tommy Phil and Lil and Chucky I I still remember at least that much <laughs> from Rugrats so.
1: yeah I we didn't have Nickelodeon until I was a little older so I didn't get to I didn't get to check those out but I was a big Peaky in the Brain guy Oh, Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain—that's what I'd go with.
0: Pinky and the Brain was was great. I don't know why, but that brought to mind Ren and Stimpy. I don't know, maybe that's another oh, dynamic duo. Yes, right. But Ren and Stimpy were a little more—you know—I don't—I don't think my parents really wanted us watching the the Ren and Stimpy and uh, oh, who else? Were Beavis and ButtHead or whatever. You know, so oh, yeah. Those cartoons. yeah just, we were a little too young for that stuff. But yeah,
1: it's it's funny. Like even you look back at those shows now, like as a as a parent, I'm always kind of. I mean, obviously, I'm looking at these TV shows and thinking nowadays it's terrible. And that's what my parents were thinking right back then. But I, I watched some of these movies that were rated G and PG back in my time. Even like <laughs> The Sandlot, right? I mean, it's relatively edgy. It, it is, man. It's like, dang, I didn't, it's, it's, it's no wonder my parents were pretty particular about this stuff.
0: I know. The <laughs> horrors of becoming a parent are, you know, uh, the, it, it 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 scares the, the, the crap out of me. I'm <laughs> thinking about me. Thinking about the, you know, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll have a separate parenting podcast when you and Christina settle <laughs> down and finally finally start popping the kiddos. Oh, but uh, but anyway, so awesome! So you you busted in. You're in episode twelve or thirteen right now, right? You got thirteen coming right. up soon. Is that that's right? Cool. That's right. Nice. What um what's kind of changed since your first episode? What have you trying to? What have you felt like has resonated with listeners and? What do you kind of want to start implementing in your future episodes? Anything come to mind?
0: Yes, um, absolutely. So, you know, we focused with a, you know, razor sharp, you know, emphasis on strictly the Michael Jordan cards and the Michael Jordan market. And even it was really, it's really more narrow than that. It was 90s Michael Jordan cards, which Mm -hmm. in fairness, that if treated as its own genre does in fact warrant um, an entire podcast of its own, just because there's so many, dimensions to that and that market is is pretty fluid and and always kind of moving in interesting and unpredictable ways. So, you know, that was our focus, but then we gradually started expanding and and that's kind of in in certain in a large part due to Christina's influence because Christina isn't really so interested in, you know, cards, the secondary market for singles. She's really interested in breaking modern products. She's, you know, a a pack ripper basically. That's that's what she likes to do and so mm-hmm. we started getting into modern product and then um, you know, that kind of forced Brian and I to expand our horizons a little bit and say, well, you know, maybe some of the stuff we've learned from the Jordan market, we can apply to the market for modern cards. And then, you know, we started expanding our horizons. We started kind of using the Jordan market as a baseline to understand different things that are happening in the secondary market for modern stuff, whether it's, you know, up and coming rookies, whether it's LeBron, you know whether it's you, you know you name it. We, we were able to kind of use some of the things we learned and apply it to to a broader array of of cards that are in the market, and as a result, our our listener base kind of naturally expanded. And then, in fact, I'd I'd say now our our most popular content is is actually the non Jordan related content, hmm. um that that we just kind of happen to, you know. Relate back to Jordans in some way. So, like, in a certain sense, you know, where where we really, I think, have have a nice niche carved out is bridging the gap between guys who collect 90s and Jordan and, you know, folks who collect modern stuff and kind of helping those two worlds see, you know, how the other one works. And, and, and especially, like, this year – oh, my – man, this is a <laughs> phenomenal year um, to – you know, really pay attention to the current card market. And because, but, but, you know, the flip side of that is because the current card market is so hot and there's so much talent and there's so much speculation going on and expectations and excitement, it's actually a great time for a shrewd collector to step back for a second and say, well, you know, with all these eyes on the modern stuff, this is actually a great opportunity to kind of go look at some of the nineties stuff right now, or some of the early LeBron stuff right now, the stuff that maybe isn't taking up quite as much energy and excitement but stuff that it eventually will again as you know we kind of return to that equilibrium where where you know modern stuff kind of you know comes back to reality a little bit so hmm. that, th- i think that's kind of our lane okay
1: yeah, that, those are some great points and i, I think uh, as you're talking i'm sitting there thinking man, mean i i just i wish i i knew more about the vintage and it's probably not even fair to say jordan's vintage right but they the the 80s 90s era and I think in the basketball world it's it's kind of misstrewed a little bit like it's jo- Jordan is the guy in the 90s period I'd be curious to know as you've done your analysis I mean what do you typically see then you said you noticed some correlations between things that were happening with Jordan and maybe what's happening with the modern day market w- w- gives the listeners maybe a couple things that you've noticed and you've probably mentioned these on your shows but
0: no, no, no. Um, that's that. That is the question. I think that a lot of people are are interested in. See, Jordan. Um, I think I think is a is a very interesting player and has very interesting cards to pay attention to. So one thing, um, you know, the, the '90s is accurately um, represented, especially the early '90s, as a junk wax era. Um, now, now my take on that is that uh the junk wax era which which began in the late 80s and the early 90s it never stopped um mm-hmm. the, the mass production never ended so for example um you can calculate the print run of a, of a lot of 90s products because they have serial numbered cards <clears throat> and then they have pack odds for those serial numbered cards so if you kind of want to crunch the math you can figure out how many packs were produced using those numbers mm-hmm. and for example 96 97 uh fleer ultra there was about 10.8 million packs produced um, so that's that's an enormous amount of cards, <clears throat> but but what the 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 interesting takeaway from that is uh, the manufacturers by that point in time had implemented safeguards that that allowed you know collectors to to obtain rarity. In addition to mass quantity so you could kind of choose which path you wanted to pursue and the way they did that was serial numbering mm-hmm. so, so serial numbering really came to the fore in the mid 90s and and that same ultra set um, It didn't have a serial number card, but it had a short printed card called the platinum medallion parallel Which was has 250 or less copies mm-hmm. and to, to give an example You know the, the the PSA pop report on the Michael Jordan for that card is pop six but it's really a pop five because one of those is a mislabel. And the most recent auction of that card was in the neighborhood of $6,400. Mm. So, you know, there you have a, a a card that has, you know, robustly stood the test of time. And one of the reasons why is precisely because companies and manufacturers began introducing short printing and serial number. And so, you, you know, that's the, the, that still persists to today. We still have massive amounts of cards being manufactured, but... There there's there's um, counterbalances that have been introduced and the most important one is the serial number and So, you know, there's there you have to understand the 90s in the context of you know, just like today Yes, there's lots of cards being made, but but there's also like the right cards to to look at and to focus on So and then you get to Jordan and Jordan is you know, if you want to collect 90s if if you want to have like a, a piece from the nineties that kind of embodies that artwork, that culture, that moment in the hobby. You know, Jordan is kind of the, the gold standard for that. Although there's lots of other players who are widely collected too, Tim Duncan, Allen Iverson, Anthony Hardway, etc. But but Jordan is kind of the gold standard, or at least he is to me. And, and but Jordan is very instructive because you know you have to think about the psychology of of what is is ultimately motivating the marketplace for cards. And I think Jordan can give you insight into that because Jordan, in many ways, is the ideal PC player. You know, the guy is is cherished. Um, he whether or not you know you feel like LeBron or whoever is is actually the greatest of all time, or is it Kobe? Is it Jordan? Is it you know, somebody who came before? Is it Bill Russell? Whoever you feel that is, you know, that that's a separate discussion from the fact that you know Jordan is a guy who really like made the NBA this global institution. He has this global brand. He has Jordan brand. He has his shoes. He's the owner of an NBA team. You know, he's highly visible. In fact, you know, Michael Jordan is kind of like the quintessential metaphor in popular culture for somebody who's just excellent at something. You would, you might say, oh, this person is the, the Michael Jordan of surgery or something like that. I mean, it's it's the ultimate compliment. And so Jordan, you know, in, in that sense, he's like the ultimate PC player because he's a guy who, you know, is if anybody – Will he, his legacy and his brand and his cards will remain highly collectible and cherished, um, especially as you know people who collected and watched him, like me, get come into their 30s and their 40s and their 50s and their 60s. So he's a great standard against which to understand modern players. And and like the ultimate achievement for a modern player, I think, would be to achieve something that resembles the legacy on the court and off the court that Michael Jordan accomplished. And so whenever I'm looking at a player, I'm always measuring it as what fraction of Michael Jordan could this player become as a collectible? You know, could they become, you know, half of Michael Jordan even? And mm-hmm. could they, could they, could their legacy get to that point? And if they could, then I can kind of look at their market. I can compare it to the Michael Jordan market and I can say, is this a person whose expectations are too high? Are they too low? Does it make sense? Does it not make sense? You know, and, and, and kind of – So so in a certain sense, I think like Jordan is – is is something that 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 anybody can can use as a as a useful measuring stick for the long-term collectability of a player and and i just as a final thought there there, there's a difference between long-term collectability and like somebody that you can flip for sure you can that you can sell in the short term but but ultimately that card has to at some point that card has to end up with a collector who wants it and who's going to hold it for the long term so you know that's kind of like a lot of jordan cards have ended up in those long-term PCs and you know ultimately when we're evaluating current players and rookies and veterans who are you know coming up on the end of their career future hall of fame type of guys right it, the, the question always is like how many PCs out there would would like to get these cards and lock them up you yeah, know? so yeah I, I hope to that, wasn't too, yeah, I hope to that wasn't too scattered <laughs> no that was good
1: that, that's that's really helpful and I think that I think people tend to forget like that measuring against Jordan is that's the ultimate high. Like that is the ceiling of any player. I feel like if you if you understand that going in, that kind of gives you good perspective. And I think it's it's also probably fair to to kind of almost lump LeBron into that category at modern day cards by kind of sure. saying this is what LeBron's done with his card prices. This is where he's gone. This is the ceiling for anybody right now in modern day cards and basketball but um a couple of thoughts that i have for you one the 96 97 fleer was one of my the fleer ultra set was one of my favorites i remember going to the gas station like a quick trip used to sell them at the time here in Kansas City and i used to try to collect that set such a fun set i love the cursive name it was, man it's just like to me it's like <laughs> the staple set of basketball for me in the 90s absolutely oh so good but um so what what have you noticed Because i th- i think when you've when you've looked back at Michael Jordan data, I think there's probably there's probably two elements that I think probably drive prices. You can correct me if I'm wrong. There is this there's this element of the market itself growing. And I think we're seeing that right now. We've seen a lot kind of ebb and flow over the last ten years. But right now, the last six to nine months, the market has exploded in the basketball world. So I think that automatically kind of just pushes prices higher. But then you think I think you've seen a kind of this this bump in prices because grading has become more accepted and it's driven more scarcity and more supply issues if you will into the market and it's driven up prices what have you kind of attributed to the price stability and growth of jordan do you, do you think both of those play into it or do you think it's just
0: it's just jordan well that's um that's a very Interesting insight and I and I do agree Um, You know there we are definitely in a a rising tide lifts all boats moment right now (laughs) where? um, You know, it's hard. Yeah, I (laughs) I don't want to say something too ludicrous here, but it's it's pretty it's pretty hard to not Buy cards that that appreciate over the over the last couple years It, It could be done if you're a gambler you're trying to go all in on a rookie and they don't do that well Um, you know, that obviously that happens, but if if you came into the hobby in 2016 and just, you know, bought pretty much your favorite cards from childhood, um, you would have seen a two or three X return without even trying. That's, that's pretty much what happened uh, to a lot of us who came back in the hobby as we entered our early thirties and our late twenties and just, you know, kind of started picking up cards we like. And it was this phenomenon where, you know, a bunch of us all just kind of came back at the same time and so you know that's a that's a pretty simple supply and demand question there where so there's this huge increase in demand and um and then so th- so then you talk about grading and, and grading is you know a, a a huge part of the supply so uh people do need a way to sort and to create hierarchies and to create scarcity and rarity and you know serial numbering is one of the ways but i i agree grading also is and you know to me this this is an unpopular opinion and a lot of people um you know i th- I, I think a lot of people especially a lot of the real collectors kind of disagree with me on this but that doesn't discourage me from you know still sharing that this is actually how i feel i just i love slabs i love the way cards look in slabs i especially like the fact that you know the pertinent information about the card is contained on the slab i i just think slabs are cool um, you know that it, it kind of enhances the presentation of the card in my opinion. And I don't know, maybe other people feel that way. Maybe they don't, but, um, I, you know, grading and slabs was, was really like a nice touch that kind of sealed the deal that I would be, you know, really coming back to the hobby, uh, it, on a very serious level when I, when I did come back in, cause I, I thought grading was just a really interesting development and, you know, it's, it's, um, it's obviously not a perfect system. Um, in fact, it's far from it, but you know, we, we keep, you know, self policing that part of the marketplace. We keep trying to improve it. I think grading is, is going to be, you know, a, a great and a fun, uh, part of, part of all this, but you know, I, I do, I agree with the two elements that you pointed out. And I, I guess the, the other thing I I would say that's kind of been, you know, Driving the the michael jordan market is something that I alluded to in this answer already, which is just there was this sudden uh, Return Hmm. of a lot of a lot of former collectors from the 90s who had taken 10 15 20 years off And we all kind of came back at the same time. It was It's really something that ought to be the subject of some sort of Psychological or sociological study is just what what happened here? Why did this? This cultural moment happened with sports cards. What is it that, you know, we all have probably have a similar story for me. It was just I, I went home to my parents' house uh, and, and, and my mom was like, well, look at these bins of cards you have in the closet. Sorry, but I kind of need to store things there. So if you wouldn't mind, could you please just make a decision what you'd like to do with these cards? And so I, I was totally ready to uh, bring them to goodwill. And then Christina said, why don't you just take a look at those? And that turned into like a two week deep dive into sorting and like digging through all those old cars again. And, you know, then I hopped on eBay and, you know, just for like many other people that 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 leads to where we are now. <laughs> uh, and like but lots of people have that same story, you yeah. know, it's and, and it's it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating.
1: It is. No, I, I agree. I think someone should do something. Um maybe that's a future collaboration between you and I. We can just set aside months of our lives and we could di- dissect this.
0: <laughs> in a, in an ideal
1: world, you know? yeah. Right, in right. But I mean there there's so many factors, right? I mean kids, our own kids playing sports, you know, and kind of driving sure. that like fantasy sports, you know. I, I think a big one is we have money. Like this generations we we're in our mid 30s now, right? And we have good jobs right. and like we're not all, a lot of us aren't in debt anymore. Like that's the reality of the situation, right? <laughs> Twenty yep. years ago was not a ideal financial situation. Identity with sports in general, I think sports gambling, all these things have kind of factored into this it being kind of relevant again. So it's really really funny, but that, that's yeah. a yeah, that's a deep discussion. You're right. What where would you say if you're looking at the state of the hobby right now? What what are you excited about
0: and what are you scared about? So so here's what I'm scared about. Okay, um, we'll we'll start with that. And and I I always you know. I skew, um, in terms of risk profile, conservative. Uh, I don't like to be very risky. Um, I like to be careful. And so, you know, I, I, I always like to, to get the, the warnings and the disclaimers out of the way. And, and that's something that, that you do too. I've, I've noticed in the breaker culture, YouTube videos and mm-hmm. on your website, you, you issue these very reasonable statements to the effect of, you know if you're prospecting on a player you have to realize their their injury concerns and you know people's brands and legacies can change and and that's very important but um so so along that in that vein the thing that scares me is that you know we are well over a decade into an economic bull run mm-hmm. and um you know when the economy eventually yeah, but, I mean, what do I know? I'm not an economist, right? I don't know what the economy is going to do. I, I think very few people know what the economy is going to do or why it does what it does. But, but I do know that there, there is some loose correlation with, you know, political changes of power and stuff like that. And we will be having an election in 2020. Um, you know, what, what will happen if, if there is a, a shift in political power or, you know, uh, how will markets react to that? How will the economy react to that? And then there's also, you know, the world economy is extremely important for sports cards because uh, increasingly non-US based collectors are taking a prominent role. In fact, I would I would say especially in the Michael Jordan market, um, collectors from Asia have, have kind of taken over. Um, yeah. and, and you know so the, the, the economy of companies like the Philippines, China, Japan, Taiwan, um, Malaysia, you know, and then you, you, Australia has a robust Michael Jordan collector base. I mean, you know, the economies of all these areas are going to, I mean, and they're all kind of interrelated anyway, but the, those economies are going to impact ultimately the spending power and purchasing power of collectors. So that that's something that scares me. And that I, that I think about a lot is what happens when the economy does kind of slow down or change directions, assuming that it inevitably will. And I think that's a fair assumption, you know, will that impact cards? And if so, how, because there there is some counterintuitive but interesting economic research that suggests that you know certain luxury items entertainment items they they actually don't suffer during right. economic downturns um, you know it, and do cards fall into that category or do or or will they be seen as more investments to be liquidated and but then even within that discussion you have to look at the different tiers of cards so will high end cards be liquidated or are the types of people who collect them are they are they actually people who will weather the storm so you know for example during the last recession and this is just kind of a, a common trope but it still applies here during the last recession you know while real estate the market absolutely tanked um you know the 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 so the, the analogs of high-end collectors in sports those people in the real estate market went out and they bought up everything and you know now they have done phenomenally well right. and you you wonder if that same thing might not happen in sports cards but if if everybody in the high end market is aware of that then the result might be that nothing actually changes in the high end market because everybody's kind of playing this you know th- this 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 game with each other where they all kind of realize hey if, if I start liquidating it, all that means is somebody else is going to buy it and sit on it But so that's like the high and then you have to look at the mid-range and the low end And you think well mid-range and, and lower-end cards are, are are Those are very much entertainment value type of cards because you you get to collect a current player You get to watch that player develop you get to you know watch that player thrive or, or you get to go on a roller coaster ride with Them over the course of a season and I think people might see that as an outlet as opposed to something to give up if you know times get tough, but by the same token, we all have, we're all in limited budgets and you know, we're, we're often restricted and dictated by our budgets. And if the budget changes, then, you know, so will our, so, so will our you know ability to participate in cards. So, so th- that's something that scares me. And before I get to something that I'm excited about, I just wonder, I wonder what you think about that. I, I bet you have something interesting to say on that.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I would agree with all of that, right? I think this is not definitely an economic podcast, but you know, that's my background I studied economics, both minor and as my master's degree. And so I I do, I do care and I do, I do pay attention to that stuff. And I think, I think you're right. I mean, it's inevitable at this point, right? Something's going to happen. How big is it? We don't know, but it will happen. Uh, but yeah, I, I really do. I I can tell you this. People aren't going to pay $5,000 for a pre-order of prison basketball. If we have a recession, (laughs) (laughs) we're going to, we're not going to see some of that stuff. Like, the crazy inflation we see heading into products, I think that would pull back quite a bit. But yeah, I I think a lot of it would depend on how the manufacturers respond, because um, if if they're smart and and if they can kind of control um, the print runs and some of this stuff, then I think you know what maybe in, in the end it's it doesn't it's not even affecting the sports card market, but. You know that when there, when there's, it, when people are trying to make money, when when finances are are stretched, this day and age, I don't, I don't feel like people view sports cards as necessarily a hobby. At least the, the people coming into the hobby, they view it as an opportunity for them to make money. So I, I don't think there'll be a, there'll be a slowdown of people buying wax. The, the problem I see is that, and I think we even see it now. I don't know if there's enough buyers out there for this stuff. You mentioned this earlier. Like, who is Who's holding these players ultimately? I don't yep. know if there's enough of like player or collectors holding players to to sustain the number of in, quote investors right the ripper and flippers that are flooding into the hobby like the Gary V generation. There's just not enough of them to to sustain all these sellers. That's
0: my that's my concern. That I, I love the way you phrased that. Is there enough collectors to sustain? The number of investors and flippers that's that's a tagline that's that's a way to you know that's a that's like a, a psychological or like a, a mental frame that, that I would highly advocate keeping in mind always and you just like distilled it into just a, a phrase that works you know, it, are there enough collectors of a certain player to sustain the number of investors that are speculating on that player And, you know, that that's a question that has the the reason why there's space for speculation and, you know, a great collector um, once told me that this hobby has always loved potential more than a sure thing. So Mm -hmm. there's people are always going to be wondering, you know, what will this player turn into? Because ultimately, if the player turns into LeBron or Kobe or Jordan, then there, there probably will be. But um you know th- there will be enough collectors but but for many there won't be and so the short term game a lot of the time is is some is is like a person who's you know on some level flipping to another flipper and it's just like flipper number 1 um <laughs> thought that this card had hit its ceiling but flipper number 2 is a little more bullish and then you know flipper number 3 comes along eventually and is even higher on the card than flipper number 2 and the metaphor that people sometimes use is hot potato, you know, who's going to ultimately be the last person holding the hot potato. But the flip side is, and the reason why people are willing to take those risks is, you know, ultimately because they do think a player can end up in that elite realm. And, you know, you, you said something really interesting too, which is how will the manufacturers adjust and embrace? I mean, Panini, you know, has like 28 or so yes. NBA products. Right. I mean, I mean, That's a lot that is a lot and in the market uh, the marketplace fortunately sorts itself So it kind of says these are the key cards and you know You get a product like Chronicles, which is a ton of fun to open You have all these low numbered and like some of them are very like shiny cool looking cards like the crusade You know, I recently got a Luca crusade parallel out of 49 and it's a super cheap card and, you know, it's blue. It's it's the jersey color. It's not of 49. It's super cheap. And it's like, you know, the market has has just decided, like, we're going to focus on certain cards as the key cards. And, you know, we're not going to just say the rarest is the most valuable because you, you can't. There's just there's way, way, way too many cards to to do that with. Um, you know, there's a guy, a, a local collector, very smart guy. His name's Will. And he has a, a, a tagline that <laughs> now whenever I see him or whenever anybody sees him, he's kind of famous for it. He has a massive collection. He's a very savvy collector. But he, he always will say, you know, when he sees what cards are signed for it right now, he'll say, we need a recession. We need <laughs> a recession. I can't believe that cards are going for this much money. We need this. And, he, and he'll say, "Let's, you know, so people understand the value of money. That That's that's his, uh, you know, that's his get off my lawn. Old man moments, but uh, you know he's. That's <laughs> funny. It, it We laugh because there's a there's a level of truth to it. You yeah, know, it's like. <sighs> yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, when you got guys paying as much for
1: like an Anthony Simons as you do paying for like uh, you know a uh, a Jason Tatum or a a Damian Lillard, right? Like guys who have established themselves. It's like okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves. People are getting <laughs> excited, and you're not you're not actually putting things in perspective. That's why. You bringing in Jordan and 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 we, we it, in general bringing in LeBron James and kind of giving people perspective of where prices should be, I think, is important. But then again, you know what? That's the beauty of a free marketplace, right? I mean, that's what makes it really really
0: fun. Oh, I agree. And you know, there's there's this, and it makes a lot of sense. But but there's this inclination to say, well, you know, if player X who came out in 2003, um, in fact you know, a friend of mine and I often talk about this, like Dwayne Wade, you know, Mm -hmm. Dwayne Wade has all these championships, great, great player, great, you know, great legacy in Miami and his RPA, you know, sells for Y dollars. And if Dwayne Wade's RPA sells for Y, then how could it possibly be that, you know, um, Donovan Mitchell or, or Luca or Trey, you know, or how could it possibly be that one of these guys RPAs is worth more? And, and, but, but I, and while that there's a lot of logic to that, it makes sense. The other thing is that you know players values um you know they often relate back to the price of the box that the item came out of and then the price that got set for that player when it when that, those cards first started selling on eBay. And so yep. you know Dwayne Wade, you know those I believe 0304 exquisite boxes were $500 which at the time was, you know, in, unbelievable but right. but you know by, by today's standards I mean, you, you know, we know how, how the prices of, of some of these boxes are. So, uh, you, you know, it's it's it, it it's not exactly apples to apples. Right. This perception. To, right. Perception yeah, drives absolutely. a
1: lot of this. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And it is interesting, too, because one of our next episodes, uh, Shani and I, we, we break down the optic hollow, you know, versus prism silver kind of phenomenon that we're seeing where the market all of a sudden has decided that optic hollows should be valuable and they should be, I, I agree. They should be right. Cause there's a, there's a much more interesting dichotomy between like supply and demand on optic hollows versus like a prism silver. But in the past, people just haven't really cared. And all of a sudden they care and you're seeing prices just skyrocket like 500% in six weeks. And once the market decides it just decides <laughs> it, just, it doesn't matter, right? Like comps don't matter anymore. Um, it's, it's, it's really kind of fun to see like some of that stuff. Cause you can, as a, as a value investor, or as some of these guys that are trying to get in a little bit lower, you can try to find those types of cards that you think maybe the market will adopt in the future that they didn't adopt in the past. And it's a good opportunity to get in, but
0: can I, can I remark on that briefly? Yeah. 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 I, first of all, I can't wait for that episode. <laughs> um, that's, I'll be refreshing iTunes every day. Until that one drops in um, with the optic hollow, right? Like the at the vanguard of that movement were the LeBron James optic hollows. And then immediately on the heels of the LeBron James came the rookie class. And now actually the Luca optic hollows are, are slightly in a PSA 10 grade outselling the LeBron optic Hollows in a PSA 10 grade but but that's actually not even the first time that LeBron cards have been at the vanguard of a a sudden sort of movement and appreciation for a set and it it happened with 2012 prism Hmm. um, as well the LeBron silvers kind of took off and then everything else kind of followed and what what was interesting about the optic hollows was that you know optic especially hobby boxes you know they're just those are bloodbaths Mm -hmm. I we've opened some of them and you just get killed you know, the idea, it is almost impossible to see a decent ROI on an optic hobby box. I think optic retail is a little bit different, but up until about a month ago, you know, card stores that we would go to just had shelves full of optic. They couldn't, they couldn't sell it fast enough. And, but you know, then you saw this movement in the secondary market. And now I understand that those, those boxes are, are, you know, red hot, but the the thing is, is you said something very exciting and interesting there, which was that, you know, you, what's next, right? Can we identify other cards that are gorgeous and that people will respond to positively that just haven't, you know, really just the perception hasn't been created yet that these are desirable cards. And, and I, I, I highly look forward to, you know, hearing you guys talk about maybe what, if you think any other sets might qualify for that, because, you know I, I do think there are opportunities out there to find cards at, at very reasonable prices that they would get appreciation
1: yeah for sure, and I think there's two elements to that, and then we could probably switch and talk a little bit more about the season, but I think there's there's two elements one i I think mass printed products are important in in a lot of respects because when you have a product that a lot of people can open and feel like they have a chance at getting a high dollar card, I think it drives it just automatically drives important demand. You know, um, you can go to Walmart and you get an optic hall, uh, you know, an optic box, and have a chance at pulling a seven hundred dollar, you know, LeBron James optic holo or a five hundred dollar Doncic holo. That I think is really really important because product can dry up fast, and you get a lot of excitement behind it. The second thing I think is important is you need a, you almost need a product like with that specifically that is is harder to grade because it creates important levels within pricing of those cards like i you need you need it to be really hard to get a psa 10 or a bgs nine five on a on a hollow that's the problem with silver right there's just too many psa 10s of these players from last year it was much too easy to grade you've seen like 60 70 percent of the grades coming back psa 10s it's like that there's no supply issue now um so i think that that's what's really important for some of these products and that's why i love like product like optic and optic hollows where right? it's nearly impossible if you can't get a bgs 10 you just can't there's like one out of all ten thousand graded it's been, it's crazy <laughs> which makes it really fun because it increases that demand and also creates increases the desire to hunt for the perfect
0: card so yeah that's that's a great point and it, let me before we uh shift gears to the season let me say what excites me about the hobby yes yeah, yeah for sure th- this, like is, this is this br- is very brief uh, it's it's the thing that excites me is the absolute escapism and camaraderie and friendships and relationships and excitement that just being a part of this hobby um, brings. And you know that 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 if you under if, if we want to look at the hobby as a product. As opposed to an investment, which is you know t- two slightly different things, and a collectible is even something else. But as a product, as an entertainment, as maybe a substitute for watching a TV show or a movie, is just scrolling eBay and like looking at data and stuff like that. And if we we think about it like that, it's it, this hobby, man. It has a very high entertainment value, and it brings a lot of joy um, to a lot of people. And I think that's actually the reason why I'm the most bullish on the hobby is because it just really makes me happy to, you know, wake up every morning and scroll eBay for 30 minutes. And as long as, as long as that's the case, you know, this, I'm, I'm very optimistic that we, we've got a pretty robust industry here.
1: I love it. That's a great way to end this segment. Let's take a quick break. All right. How many times have you just had those random questions about, um, sports cards, whether you're walking through a Target, a Walmart, you're in a hobby shop, you're at a card show, maybe you're, you're just curious about if you should you know, grade a specific card. That is why we created the Breaker Culture Discord channel. We created this channel on the Discord platform, which is really a perfect platform for this type of thing where there's different sub channels where you can say, hey, I want to chat about basketball cards or you know, I'm looking about grading. Um, whatever it is, we've created all kinds of channels for you to connect with the other members in our community. And, um, Look, we just we want to create an environment where you can just get questions answered really quick, pass some thoughts along, share some deals, and just overall just kind of build that deeper relationship with some of the collectors that are like-minded and pursuing the same thing. So, uh, it's grown quite a bit. We're at about 100 members already. It's a free, it's a free community for you to join. So just click the Discord link in the show notes. You can download the app on your phone. Google. Apple. You can do it uh, on your Mac or your PC, and it's really easy to use. And it's been uh, extremely helpful for me connecting with you guys. And I look forward to continuing to grow that environment. So go check it out. Back to the show. All right, we're back. You and I were just talking about how many notes we've taken from each other uh so far. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> I hope yeah, listeners that. hope listeners care as much as we do. I'm sure they do. <laughs> so let's talk uh let's talk about the NBA season. We're only six, seven games in, right, so far. And uh you and I are obviously both hardcore NBA fans and I've the first time I, I've actually really taken advantage of my NBA pass, you know, my season ticket pass mm-hmm. and watched a lot of games, recordings of games just cuz i feel like it helps you get a little bit more perspective but from a general kind of overall
0: perspective
1: um what do you think of the nba season so far
0: best season in 20 years whoa whoa yeah, yeah. i'm i'm so high on this season it's uh it's silly um and you know of course I, so we're not in the hot takes section yet but there there's one already for you and i and i can hear the the Kobe guys and you know, the, the Nowitzki guys and everybody saying, what are you talking about? There's been so many great years and the Jordan guys, but, but you know, this, there's, there's two things that make this season phenomenal to me. Number one is the restoration of parody. Mm. And, um, I actually was not a warriors detractor. I, I loved to watch that team and I'm a big fan of, uh, Curry in particular, but all those guys are phenomenal players. Um, but but now that we have this return to parody, um suddenly there's so much space for speculation and there's so many different ways things can go. The uncertainty has been ratcheted up and that makes things like extremely interesting to me. So uh that's one thing. And then the other thing is that um I am completely engulfed by Luca Mania. Mm. Uh, I'm huge, huge admirer of him and his and I I kind of see him you know, i transforming basketball right before my eyes, and I, I also uh, have league pass for the first time this year, uh, just so that I can watch every Mavericks game. And I've I've done that so far, even if it meant I had to catch the replay three hours later. But I've I've been very closely watching, and it hasn't disappointed. In fact, the Lakers Mavericks game so um, good. Oh, it was it, it had the intensity of. You know, a a classic playoff game all the way down to, you know, Luka getting three stitches and blood (laughs) pouring out of his head. I mean, and then and then, of course, um, you know, LeBron reminding the world that even as Luka Doncic is the number one trending topic worldwide on Twitter, LeBron comes back with a, you know, a thirty nine, sixteen and twelve performance to one up Luka's thirty one. 15 and 13 or something like that and and, and lebron you know Luca makes the kick to the corner for the 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 go-ahead three and then on the very next play or maybe it was a, a few plays later lebron makes the kick to the corner to tie the game to to take the game to overtime then ultimately lebron outlasts and out muscles the mavericks to seal the game in overtime and so you had you know the the the, the nice meme that i saw was Luca the prince but LeBron, the King, uh, and it's, and it's still, still remains. So yeah, I'm, I'm very, very, uh, excited about this season. How about you? Would would you, are you as high as me? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I'm extremely high. And I think
1: setting aside the hobby, right. Looking at this from a pure fan perspective, I've never been more excited about the NBA. And, And I think the big thing for me is, um, I don't have the specific percentage, but Every day I break down stats for players and I look at stuff. I throw out the rookie stats on Twitter for people to see. Uh, but if you look at the overall stats for the NBA and you sort it by leaders in any quadrant and then you sort it by age 23 and under, a majority of the leaders now are driven by players younger than 23. And I think to me that that makes the NBA extremely fun because you have, you have such good balance between the really top tier 24 and older players. And then you have a really, really solid younger class kind of driving the popularity and the excitement of the NBA. We, we haven't had that in a long time. And I think it's, that to me makes it really exciting.
0: I remember reading that on a, uh, on the breaker culture blog for, you know, you were looking at players numbered 50 to 31. Yeah. yeah. Who, who, and I remember reading that you, 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 there was a, Oh, there was a stat that you had that, that, uh, where is it? I have it here. Interesting. Yeah. The average time in the league, 3.82 years, average age, 22.62. Like uh, that that's from your top 50 investments. But you know, in other words, like the people that are very exciting in the hobby right now are very young, huge future potential in front of them. And that, that I absolutely agree that, that makes it in, in in a certain sense. I mean, you know, the potential is better than, than its realization. That's true. You're right.
1: right. That's a great point. And I think, um, the stats back it up. That's what's important to me, right? I mean, these guys are these are players that are making differences on their teams in the league, so it's there's some some of this hype is warranted.
0: It's kind of fun. It is, you know, you have uh, you have these rookies um, like starting and leading their teams. I mean, you have PJ Washington on this list. That, you know, he, yeah. he's a he's a significant first six game significant contributor to the Hornets. You have you know John Morant, um, you know, starting and the guy looks like you know how Trey young looked at the end of last season. Yeah. I and mean, he's, he's an absolute phenom and you can, you can go down the list. I mean, the Mavericks is a team that I'm paying very close attention to. You have two rookies from last year. You have Don, and of Brunson who are, you know, both starter quality players contributing right away. And the, I mean, Trey young, you know, mm. the guy, his, his first games this year. And unfortunately, you know, he got sidelined by that ankle sprain, which um subsequent to his departure from that game the hawks looked like a completely different and different in a bad sense team you just saw the influence and the value that trey added to his team I mean, he opened up this season with like back-to-back 38 and 39 point games i mean just the range on his shot is incredible he's a he's a great playmaker i mean the hawks are are in my estimation a playoff team if he's in the regular rotation you know the, the guy is is what twenty twenty one years old i mean it's 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 really it, it, you just look at this the eighteen nineteen and the nineteen twenty draft classes you know tyler harrow you know Zion i mean he, and nobody's thinking about Zion right now because and and rightfully so because he's got this knee injury, and that's a very concerning injury, especially for him but man, his preseason was you know unprecedented mm-hmm. the guy. Shot 71% from the floor. He averaged 23 points per game in 27 minutes. He adds six and a half rebounds. And, you know, it's just preseason, but, um, man, uh, (laughs) the, the league is, is, is transforming before our eyes right now.
1: For sure. Yeah. And I, I thought the biggest thing to watch for was to see if you saw a sizable decrease in, um, just general interest in cards. And luckily we had a good product to judge that on with prison draft. I think that's a pretty fair product to use it kind of gauge it on. And I thought after two weeks of Zion being out, I didn't see really much of a drop at all. In fact, Zion prices held pretty stable. And I thought you saw a pretty good bump in guys like Ja Morant and PJ Washington, of course, and Harrow and, uh, it's hero, right? Is it Tyler Hero? I go back and forth on that. I hear hero pronounced,
0: but like yeah. it's two R's, man. It's no, R's. It's like come he, on, man. It, <laughs> and I don't like calling somebody like hero, you know, just because they <laughs> they want to alter. But I, but you know, who he, he you know, obviously he and his or his family is, they they know the right pronunciation. But still, I just feel like you won't you, you won't allow it. You refuse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying you know, uh, hero. Come on, man. Yeah. Um, so if you
1: were Second year, so sophomore players. Out of these, let me give you three names. You tell me which guy you would put five grand on right now if you had it. All right. Anthony Simons, Michael Porter Jr., or Shai
0: Gildas Alexander. (laughs) I knew it wasn't gonna be easy. Um Well, the Anthony Simons phenomenon, first of all, is very interesting. And I know that there's serious collectors out there who believe in this guy and so i respect that um but you know he had a breakout moment in a game in in which if i remember correctly the the trailblazers at the end of last year they were deliberately trying to lose yeah um and so that's you know to, in order to get the seed that they wanted and that happened to be the game that he broke out and i'm pretty sure it was kind of like a duel back and forth between him and like grace and Allen or something and so yeah <laughs> Where's all the Grace and Allen hype, you know? But but I uh, I think Anthony Simons, you know, people saw something that they liked in him, but um, you know, I I think I mentioned earlier I I skew very cautious um, on players, and so Anthony Simons is out for me personally, but I do hope he succeeds, and um, you know, but it's it's going to be tough getting shine on a very talented starting roster for the Trailblazers, and that's. Also a concern that Michael Porter jr. Is mm-hmm. experiencing right now. So he when when I saw his I watched his first uh, Minutes in preseason and I said the way this guy moves and his instincts on offense he, he, I One thing I love about him. He's always crashing the boards. I mean every mm-hmm. single time a shot goes up he, he is just like a magnet to the ball. He's so big and strong, but but still composed and under control uh, I, I'm very impressed with the skill set Uh, But but he also has the issue of being on a team that's exceptionally talented already. And so it's going to be hard to get minutes, although when he did get his first minutes uh, a game or two ago, he he looked good. And unlike in the preseason, when he sort of put his head down and said, I have to score here to show that I can compete this time, he, he was playing more to the team structure. So that was very exciting for me as well, to see that this is a guy who can you know, who who can play whatever style that the game requires. But, he, but then he has this injury concern and, you know, th- that plus the team concern. But I think uh, he's the best player of the three mentioned here if he's healthy. So then you have to go up against uh, Gilgis Alexander, and he's playing the best of the three right now, and that's because he's getting the opportunity to on a Thunder team that's very likely not going to make the playoffs. Um, so, playoffs is a time where guys make a lot of money, collectors, because playoffs is the time when you know those players that you've been hoarding and grading and just sitting on during the course of a season. Um, that's when their cards can absolutely explode. And I think you know for Exhibit A, I'll point to Giannis's prices during the playoffs last year, Giannis not even making it to the finals, but the speculation and the expectations, you know, and the the expected MVP which he eventually won, all those things factored into an absolute explosion in demand for, you know, Giannis's cards and there will be somebody, maybe a few players who that happens to this year. I don't think it will necessarily be a second year guy, but but it can happen on a smaller scale with a second year guy. So with MPJ, I see a ceiling this year of maybe he works himself into the starting lineup and then they make a playoff run and then he looks pretty good you know I could I could maybe see something like that happening it's just it's too bad that Jokic is so out of shape this year it's (laughs) how how can a guy be like a top 10 player and you know he's so he just drinks like a two liter of just straight sprite every day and just, the, you know, how, how can this guy be so good and so out of shape, but actually him, him being out of shape is kind of hurting their team a little bit this year. But, you know, so so that's, that's a very long winded way of saying I, I like MPJ, but, but, but I, let me put the asterisk on that answer that honestly, I, I wouldn't put five grand on any of them.
1: <laughs> um, Nice. I can see why your shows are four hours now. Cause you're very, <laughs> you're very thoughtful and every answer, I like it. I like it.
0: Oh, man, I'm sorry. I go on and
1: on. I... No, no, it's good. It's good. Um, so here, here's the questions I ask myself when I look at players like this. Number one, can he be great? You alluded to this earlier in our first half of this podcast, and that's can this player, what what percentage of Michael Jordan will he be, essentially is what you said. Um, right. And to me, I look at players like this, and I, I try to decide, do I think this guy can be great? Because that dictates a lot of how much I think it's worth investing in them. The other thing is I I think you have to ask yourself in some of these players like can this player be good enough to transcend his market? Like his team, his city. And I think a guy like you know Giannis like he's transcending a pretty terrible Milwaukee market. Like he's that sure. good. Whereas a guy like Simons is not going to be good enough to transcend Portland. He just is not. I mean I mean Lillard has barely been good enough to transcend Portland. And so I, I think you have to you have to decide like which of these guys that you're going to invest in can transcend their own city, like an RJ Barrett like he doesn't have to be as good as in, as Shy Gilders Alexander because he's in New York, right? <laughs> All he has to do yep. is average 18 a game. He didn't, no one cares that he turns the ball over seven times a game. He's in New York, so like th- those things factor into me. And then I I also I just ask myself like which of these guys. Which of these guys do I think can create their own offense the easiest? So that that's kind of how I look at these things. And like to me, I've been so impressed with Michael Porter Jr. At the way he can create shots. But at the same time, like Shy just Alexander's been really impressive. The guy can just score. I didn't think he'd be able to score as good as he could, and he can really score. Um, so that that's kind of fun. But I I kind of agree with you on, on those. I I don't know if I would put five more thousand dollars on any of these guys. I say more because I think I've probably put that much on Michael Porter Jr. So, <laughs>
0: well then I, I even more hope he pans out.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I've lost out in a lot of these investments. But what about Charlotte? You got you got uh, Miles Bridges, Dwayne Bacon, Devontae Graham. Which of those three guys do you like the most? I
0: you know I, or, I don't or, really know. I guess know. we can put PJ I, Washington
1: in there. We got we have four young guys you could spend money on. And in fairness, if you haven't watched any of their games or you have no opinion, that's totally cool. I don't even that know if that I have is. Any opinion.
0: Yeah, that is kind of the boat that I'm on. I just I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know enough. I but I I have been impressed by PJ, but other than that I just I haven't been really following the Hornets yet.
1: Cool. No, that's fair. That's fair. And I will uh I will say this. I I don't think they're a 500 team for the rest of the season. I think they're 3 and 3 now. They're like the 5th or 6th seed. I mean, that's obviously going to change, but It has that with those four guys and thinking, you know what, those are all players that you could buy rookie cards in the last two years like that. That makes Charlotte pretty fun to watch.
0: It does. And, you know, you got the, uh, you got a great team owner out there. So, uh, you know, I would love to see Charlotte finally flourish. And then, uh, uh, yeah, Jordan can, can finally get those team owner accolades that he's, he's been (laughs) working hard for, but, um, you know they, Zeller has been playing really well for them if i'm not mistaken uh so you know i i don't know maybe maybe i should be
1: paying a little more attention to them yeah i think i think we all will as time goes on because you got yeah you got some fun guys to watch Cody Zeller i love that 7 foot 250 you like you're, he's like a jokic he's a poor man's jokic
0: yeah we, you know he he is and there are worse things to be there's there's better things to be but He's all right <laughs> for sure. all right, so here's
1: here's a segment you and I are gonna start. We talked about this. We each have three or four different hot takes that we have for the season and we're gonna we're gonna ask the question, can you get behind this? And uh, we've got to give a little justification for your take and then uh, the other person can kind of uh, respond to it. but you as a listener, you have to decide can you get behind? this hot take and so i'm excited because uh i think we
0: have some good ones
1: <laughs> you ready we'll see, for man you
0: ready for this we will see yeah if, if uh we'll see how many listeners i can alienate with these
1: oh man all right you want to start you want me to start
0: I, how about you go let's, let's 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 let you set this one off.
1: okay first uh first hot take for you can you get behind this Zion Williamson doesn't even finish in the first team of all rookie. Doesn't finish Ooh. as an all rookie first teamer this year.
0: What what but, yeah, so but why? here's my why justification.
1: Say, Here, here's yeah. look, I, I think he'll come back probably in eight weeks. That's the kind of the first piece of justification. But I look at like players now and I think, okay, he he falls into the small forward, power forward category. And right now, you would probably place a guy like PJ Washington. Obviously, he's a power forward, first teamer. Maybe slot in like Hachimura as a small forward. But I mean, you're gonna—I just first off—I don't see how he's going to put up enough stats in 60% of a season, maybe less, to overcome that as a first teamer. Um, And I'm trying to think: Do do, they—they do—they place—they slot him into positions, right? Or do they just pick the best five? I forget how they do it with first. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't don't know either, but, but I look at like the other five, right? I think of like, you're going to get Kendrick Nunn, which is crazy to talk about. You got (laughs) Tyler, Tyler hero, hero. And then you got like John (laughs) Morant and RJ Barrett in there that are in that, like the consideration. Like to me, I think though you got six players and then you're going to have a guy like Kobe white. And the guy that I think will end up doing really well at the center position, Jackson Hayes. You have, you have eight, eight guys that I think could, arguably have really really good seasons
0: how, how did the pelicans end up getting like like Nikhil alexander is excellent also like the pelicans got three great draft picks this year incredible i know yeah it's it's uh, uh, uh am i am i allowed to reply to the to the hot take or is no, this no i want to we, know can, can you get behind that can, can you get behind Can that? i get behind that you know uh i i i really cannot um, I I cannot get behind that take just just because uh, I've I've watched Zion and I I think one month of of preseason level Zion is enough to you know persuade the voters. Um, and and but the voters are you know very diligent, analytic driven, you know, uh, uh, people. But but still, you know, one month of Zion I think is gonna. Is, it, but but he has to stay healthy. So I think if he comes back around January first and he's healthy, uh, his impact will have been felt so strongly that that he ultimately will make the cut. But but look, you you make a good point. There there are a number of guys on there who will probably end up playing a full season and will will maybe from an analytics perspective deserve it a little more. But I just think the phenomenon of Zion is a little. Little too big. All right. Fair enough. What do you got? All right. My first hot take uh, even though he's in year 17, <laughs> LeBron is going to win number four this year, uh, somewhat to my Michael Jordan collector's chagrin. And not only is he going to win number four, but he will have established by the time that they win that he is the dominant player on that team then Anthony Davis will never be more than the second best player on a championship team. And, you know, but there's a lot of people who are high on Davis right now. And I share this opinion with them and they say, what are you talking about? You know, Davis is the, is the key piece to, to LeBron's next championship. And Davis is going to be the MVP candidate. And if you even look at the Mavs and the Lakers game, when it really came down to the wire, they just kept feeding Davis in the post and and that's all true, but but my my what when I watch the games and when I you know think about what it takes to win championships and, and what greatness really entails, and then you look at who really see see Davis played your, your typical Davis game against the Mavericks. He was rock solid, solid stats got points in the post when he needed him to, but he also disappears for three to five minutes at a time. when You when you can actually forget that he's on the court. When that game, when the Mavs were up by 10 there towards the end of the game, and the Lakers needed the comeback points to, to bridge the gap, it was LeBron pulling up, getting a switch to get Luka guarding him, and then making three after three over the young buck. And, you know... To me, it, greatness is 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 very hard to capture, and and it's in, in. I think when it's all said and done this year, people will look and they'll say, you know, AD was a great player, but he wasn't the difference maker. It was LeBron.
1: Um, okay, so you're saying LeBron wins fourth championship, and he is the essentially the best player in the Lakers this year. Yes. Okay. I I cannot get behind this. Okay. I just can't. Here's here's my problem with the Lakers. I feel like this day and age in the NBA, you have to have a transcendent guard. And you could argue that LeBron essentially plays a guard position, but he's not a true guard. And I feel like the Lakers are just missing the guard. I I, I think (laughs) think they could probably trade and get Chris Paul and this team would be unstoppable. Um, (laughs) Honestly, right? I think you could fit him in. Rondo's irrelevant these days. Kuzma's not a guard. He's small forward. And, and frankly, Danny Green's not really a guard, a guard you want the ball in his hands often. You want him to be a spot up shooter. You need that guard, and I think until they get that guard, they're just not. They're not going. There's no way they can contend with the teams that have great guards. That's my take. But man, it's hard to argue with LeBron after he put up those stats against the Mavericks. When he turns it on, there's nobody that I've ever seen outside of Jordan that when he decides he's going to play, he's he's unstoppable. You cannot yep. stop him.
0: This is true. This 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 makes LeBron a very interesting hobby um, topic because you know he he has sort of the best of both worlds right now, which is he has a potential to add to his legacy. So in a certain sense, you can speculate on him and gamble on him, and you figure the excitement and the the passion that will pour into his cards if they win number four is, is going to increase. But oh, man, but he's man. also but he's also a sure thing. You know, he's, he's also already like in that, you know, greatest of all time discussion. So it'd be really hard to, to, to see, you know, to go wrong with him and to see his cards do poorly. However, I will call attention to the fact that Michael Jordan had those wizards years and, and, you know, when a player gets the end of his career and there's not a lot of excitement around him and he actually is the second or the third option on a team or, or he's still the first option, but on not a very good team. I don't know. I don't know how the card market will react to something like that.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, you probably have much more perspective on that than, than I do. So that, that would be fun to hear you break that down more. But I, I'm i really interested to see um, like Prism, for instance, this year, right? Prisms. you're going to have the first silver of LeBron in the Lakers uniform. It'll be fun to see if that card does as well as the Optic hollows from last year.
0: Yes, it will. Yes, it will.
1: But okay, all right. My second hot take was actually Anthony Davis wins the MVP. But I'm not. <laughs> but but I'm not. I'm not going to even. Woo! We're not going to discuss that because we basically just did, and I already know it what is. your perspective is on that. So let me let me give you a different one. Okay. Here's the guy that I think is second in MVP votes. Pascal Siakam. Oof. I I've just. This is probably more of a uh, more of a gut than I mean stats do back it up a little bit, but i've just i've I watched him last year and I thought, man, he's got the skill set and he's just so stinking he's just such a different player and then I've watched him this year three or four games, and I mean he it's just so easy for him to put up twenty five and ten and now granted he's in Toronto, so that's gonna it's gonna go against him a little bit but I I just think the guy is one of those players who's going to sneak under the radar and we're going to, as collectors, we're all going to be like, gosh, darn it. Why didn't we spend more money and invest in a guy like Pascal Siakam when he was basically pennies, you know,
0: a year and a half ago. Um, I think he ends up second MVP votes. Siakam is a very interesting case study because some of the guys whose trajectory in terms of card values have done, Very well over an extended period of guys like James Harden who came in very cheap his uh, NT RPAs when they first hit were you know less than a hundred bucks And now that card in a gem grade is 10 to 12 grand and Harden had a very slow and steady, you know from coming off the bench sixth man with the thunder found his identity and developed a style and actually revolutionized the game with Mm -hmm. Houston and just that slow burn, that, that steady, slow and steady tortoise beats the hare, you know, approach, uh, that, that certain players have. So, so Siakam may very well be in that category of player. Giannis had that trajectory too, you know, very started off slow, very raw skill set, developed. Um, I, 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 I can't necessarily disagree with that take. Um, but, but second, you know, his, his efficiency rating better be pretty darn high um, if he's going to be getting second. But it could be. It could be. All uh, right. So you, yeah. so you didn't
1: really disagree.
0: But you didn't no, really I don't agree. Really, you, right. I'm, Switzerland, yeah. all right. <laughs> the, the, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm uh, just neutral on that one.
1: <laughs> uh, he's 25 years old. So this will be fun to watch, but this is one of those, like going back to my last point, can he transcend Toronto? That, that to me, we're going to find out this year if he can transcend Toronto. Yep. Uh, but he, what you, I think he signed a four or five year extension, right? Right at the beginning of the season. So he's going to be there. So it will be fun to watch.
0: Yeah, man. And in Toronto, um they decided that they weren't going to blow up that team even after Kawhi left. And yeah. I, I think Siakam is actually, now we know why. Yep now we know why all right shall i offer another hot take yes you shall i got two to go with here um i'll go with this one pelicans make the playoffs despite being one and five right now and it's due to zion's return okay that's that's it zion is is that guy um mm. who will come back and be phenomenal. And and by the way, I I don't own any Zion cards. All right. I am not here <laughs> trying to hype up this guy uh, at all. I I have no stake in Zion cards, but what I saw, you know, in the preseason and w- what I saw before that, uh, you know, I I think those Pelicans, they're going to they can be they can sneak in. They could they could have a terrible, you know, 20 20ish games and Zion comes back and they get hot and they sneak in.
1: Um, okay. Um, I, I, unfortunately, cause I, as much as I want to see Zion in the playoffs, I just don't see how they can do it. I mean, for, first off, I think you have to say right now, they're the, they're the worst of the five in their Southwest division. <laughs> they are right. I mean, not just, I mean, not look, looking at this, obviously win losses right now. And I don't think it's even fair to look at the first six games, but are they going to be better than the Spurs? Probably not. They're going to, they're absolutely not going to be better than the Rockets. They're gonna be better than the Mavs, no. Maybe they're better than the Grizzlies, but my goodness, you're basically which I love is you're arguing is Ja Morant going to do something with Memphis or is Zion gonna do something in New Orleans, and will the fourth best team in the Southwest Division make a wild card?
0: Yep, yep, that's that's right. And so in order for that to happen, you know, I mean the Suns started red hot. They're four and two. I think. I think they can they can tail off a bit. Yep. Um, I think the Jazz are overrated. And, you know, people were... I, and I, my apologies to my friends who are Jazz fans, because I hate to have to take a, an unfavorable position towards you guys. But, you know, you beat the Clippers. Well, the Clippers rested Kawhi. The, the load management game they decided to go with was <laughs> the Jazz. I mean, that's, that tells you a little something. And it was still a close game. I, I think losing Rubio hurt that team. Um, I think Don I think there's too many guys who need the ball for Donovan Mitchell to flourish. I think Bogdanovich is going to be underused there. Um, and I just, I'm not high in the jazz. I could see them, you know, and, and that, that in itself is a, is a super hot take because everybody is very mm-hmm. high in the jazz. I, but I could see the trailblazers not making the playoffs and falling out. They're three and three right now. And, you know, they, when Nurkic comes back, we'll see what they can do, but I can see them falling out of the playoff race. And I could see the Nuggets falling out of the playoff race if they don't figure out a way to get that that spark and that chemistry back that they had last year you know i I've, when i watched the mavericks nuggets game and the, you know the mavericks bench essentially won that game um not a good sign for the nuggets that that they're being outperformed you know like that i think that the timberwolves are four and one but you know i i'm not super high on how long that can last either so i do think there's a there is a, a world in which it can happen obviously it's a hot take i don't think the odds are in its favor necessarily but i think that there's a world in which that can happen okay all right
1: you You've basically just said you think three established good teams are gonna crap all over <laughs> themselves that's the way the pelicans make it
0: yep we, we said hot takes right? yeah, very true that, that is a
1: very, that, that was very flaming hot take yeah, that that wouldn't that wouldn't win in the court of law. You should know that as
0: a as a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why I'm only I'm I'm just a law student. I just uh, I'm in my third year, so uh, that that that's my mistake. But I do I look forward to being completely wrong about that. Hey, uh, if, but, if
1: you're right though, that the market's going to be so fun.
0: <laughs> oh man, it, yeah, it'll be buying opportunities for everybody except Zion collectors.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but my goodness, as you look at that, the Southwest divisions is ridiculous. That's so fun. It is It so is. I
0: think the Spurs, too. I mean, the Spurs are the Patriots of the NBA, and it's just a machine, and it's a system. But I'm not so high on them either. They're, they're definitely not. You know, they're sitting atop the Western Conference right now. They're not the best team in the West.
1: You know, and that's a fun conversation to have because I love the Spurs I always have. I think that the, the cog in that team that's going to be most interesting to watch is DeJounte Murray. Oh he's, yeah. Yeah, he's he's a top 10 guy to invest in for me and I I just think he is going to make that team great if he plays to his potential.
0: Well, I was looking at John Hollinger's um player efficiency rankings on okay. the ESPN's website and Murray is 16th right now in the league with a player efficiency rating of 26.5. Wow. Pretty impressive. Who's one? Kawhi. Okay. So you got top 5 Kawhi Towns Embiid, Giannis Anthony Davis and then LeBron number six and then Mitchell Robinson number seven whoa yeah interesting the only positive thing coming out of New York
1: (laughs) Mitchell (laughs) Robinson's player efficiency rating
0: sad but true and you know you you referred to RJ Barrett a little earlier. he looks pretty good too I was not high on him but yeah he looks pretty good no I I have been impressed with RJ Barrett I was not a fan of him in the
1: summer league but he looks he looks pretty good um. All right. Hot take number three for me. Shai Gilgeous Alexander is a second team All NBAer this year. Woo. Woo. Okay. Okay. Uh. I mean, he, here's why. Uh. He. He is the guy in Oklahoma City. I mean, Oklahoma City has basically said, "Here's the keys to the team. You go do whatever you got to do." You can put up all kinds of stats this year. Like you're going to be the reason people even come to fill up our stuff our arena, um, have fun. And, uh, and he's actually doing it. The guy, he is a stat, st- stat sheet stuffer, as Dick Fidel would say, um, he's doing everything. And uh, I think you have a fan base who's coming off of, you know, Russell Westbrook. And then years before that, Kevin Durant kind of burning him, They're just, they get behind their player. And uh, I think it'd be really fun to see SGA just perform at a high level, and I think he's gonna he's gonna be good enough to be a second team All NBA.
0: So, what position? Because I do know that All NBA team, as opposed to All Rookie team, I know the All NBA team is based on position. Yeah. Uh, so, what position does he slide in at? Um, I think he's technically a shooting guard because
1: uh, you got Chris Paul at point guard, uh, yeah. but I mean. I know on his cards he's slotted in as a small forward as well. It'll be interesting to see how how they classify him because I think that would obviously make a big difference. If he's a small forward, I think it's it's probably much easier to get into that second
0: team. But as a as a shooting guard, it's going to be really tough. That's what I was thinking too. Is that uh, so? His player efficiency rating is 21, which is good for 48th. Okay. Point points rebounds and assists: 22, seven, and three. Um, so impressive, but not the second best player essentially at that position in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So you're, you're, you're saying you can't get behind that. I, I'm not even close to being able to get behind that <laughs> one, but I do like the tenacity of that choice. And I agree that he has been special so far this season. I agree with that.
1: Oh, the tenacity. I like it. Uh, Real quick, for those that are looking at rookies, uh, Oklahoma City's got a good one, man. Darius Baisley is going to be really, really interesting to watch. Okay. Keep an eye on him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's all I'm
1: going to say. All right. Proceed. Okay. Cryptic.
0: Okay. All right. All right. Let, let me give my third and final hot take. Okay. And uh, this – I can't even take credit for this hot take because it's just – it's it's Bill Simmons' hot take, but I like it so much that I'm going to say it anyway. Over, under – on Bill Simmons puts the over under on Luka Doncic future MVPs at two and a half, and I'm gonna take the under, but I'm gonna say two. Okay. Uh,
1: so the hot take is that he will not get more than two MVPs.
0: Well, the whole thing is a hot take, right? Because you know, two and a half. It is so hard to win MVP in the NBA that to you know put that on a sophomore player <laughs> that he's going to win any MVPs. Um, so, so the one hot take is that, yeah, it's going to be, he'll win two, which people could very reasonably disagree with that. But, but you know, the, the other hot take is that it would even, there's even a discussion that it could be more, you know, that it could be three or four or something like that.
1: That uh, I think that's probably the coolest of all the, the, the hot takes that you have. Cause I think that's, I think it's a, I don't think it's a stretch. I don't. I, I mean, I think I think you'd agree with this, right? I think with a guy like Luka Doncic, like he probably could win two M- MVPs in the next five years. Like he's he's on the verge of averaging a triple double. I mean, like that's how good he is right now. The question to me will be when he's 26, 27, and his body starts to change, he's not quite as athletic. Can he adjust his game to still be dominant? Because that step back, if it's a if it's a quarter second slower, or if he doesn't have the explosive assist to the rim, and he's a little bit more overweight, like if he doesn't adjust, he's not winning MVP because he'll be a younger, faster, more dynamic
0: player. It's a great point. It's a great, great point. That's my number one concern with him as well. Is that the athleticism already is middling. And as he gets older and it tapers off a bit, will that you know will that be will that inhibit him? And on uh, to, on that front, Stan Van Gundy had an interesting quote when I was watching his recap of the Lakers Mavericks game, and he said he, his opinion is that Luka's game will weather well over the course of his career, that it will age well, and, and the reason he gave is because Luka's game uh, you know is is based on craftiness, hmm. court vision, and anticipation. And those are things that that you know are are largely mental components to the game. Uh, craftiness is there's there's definitely a, a physicality with that too, but the ability to kind of see plays before they happen and the playmaking stuff. I mean, Van Gundy's point was basically that Luca already isn't relying on running or jumping to create plays. He's 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 relying on you know knowing right where to be and being able to get there by taking a guy off the dribble, and and that is something about Luca that's underrated right now is that or, or that people don't really look at is that Luca can beat anybody one-on-one and create a shot at the basket for himself not because he's super like, freakishly fast but because he has such a quick first step mm-hmm. uh that, that he can he can do that now it, when that goes away you know w- which it does for everybody except for LeBron right LeBron That's is true. still just the same freight train he always was but uh will Luca innovate and and you know craft his game and and get his game that level. And so, and I I need to disclose this too. I do have many Luca cards. So I'm like very much, um, personally tied to his success. And so people should know that when I make that, that statement that, you know, I'm, that's because I, 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 I I put my money where my mouth is when it comes to Luca. But, uh, yeah, I, I, it will be very fun to watch. That's fair.
1: You're, I think you're exactly right. Luka Doncic is like the ultimate um, old school kind of like Sunday gym player who everyone hates, right? Who like he just does everything really well. He's crafty. He's he's that that wily veteran. He's the he's the real Uncle Drew. Like Uncle Drew should be Luka Doncic. Forget Kyrie <laughs> Irving,
0: right? It's it's Uncle, it's Uncle Drew. It's it's Luka Doncic. If this was a House of Jordans podcast, that would have been the title. <laughs> Luca is the real Uncle Drew. That would have been the title.
1: It'll be I'll put that in the subtitle. That's it. That'll, that's be clickbait.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, but people can be like, what? <laughs> and then they will hear it and it will make perfect sense.
1: <laughs> and it's perfect because we have it right at the end. They have to listen to the whole episode. They have to deal with all of our rumbling, <laughs> ramblings. <laughs>
0: Yes, uh, what
1: what other what other three or four players are you uh are you hoarding are you collecting
0: i i, I really don't i just uh i collect luke and i collect jordan and that's wow. it and then you know if, if i get an opportunity to you know like uh from our prism ripping i had some mpjs i you know Shea gilgis alexander silver prisms by the way that those are tough to grade mm-hmm. um because they all have this Thumbnail imprint or not all of them, but lots of them have a certain the certain manufacturers defect mm-hmm. um, That's located to the right of the of his of the photograph of him And so uh, I you know, I got a few of those to you know, I've you know, come and come the, the, those cards come and go and stuff like that But the two players that I that I collect and that I'm that I'm holding and that I I love to to own their cards are of course Michael Jordan who's a lion's share of my PC, but then uh, Luca is is increasingly taking up you know more and more space and then in the in the shoebox so love it um, I love that you're still using shoeboxes it's really really cool <laughs> how, how about you how about who, who, who do you like uh, well we, we we've we know the patreon yeah. subscribers can can see the list but is is there anybody you know mm-hmm. any any anybody you want to drop on them
1: so I personally collect almost every Mizzou guy. So it just happens that Mike, Michael Porter Junior. is a Mizzou guy, so I collect a lot of him anyway. Um, sure, um, but and like Jordan Clarkson, uh, Max Scherzer for you know Nationals. But I we I love the Royals and uh, I love the Spurs, so I collect Lonnie Walker, um, collect Dejounte Murray. So just collect I collect them. Don't don't resell them usually. But uh, the guys that I'm holding that I'm not selling right now from this year's class. Like I, I'm absolutely not selling a Darius Garland yet. I'm absolutely not selling selling a Jarrett Culver yet. Um, probably not selling a guy like, like Brandon Clark. I know a lot of those people that are buying prison draft and now hoops are flipping. I, th- those guys are, you wait on those guys. Cause by next year, year after they're going to show why they were a top 10 pick. So there's nice. my, there's my qualification.
0: Very nice. Now, yeah. Are you worried at all? It's just a final thought yeah. here. Are you worried at all about the college uniform cards, you know, their market being supplanted by the NBA uniform cards when they come out? Does that concern you? Um, yeah, for sure. I, I think some of those cards, like
1: I think the top names you got to sell relatively quick. Cause I don't think they're going to appreciate that much. Um, but I think it's a little bit unprecedented to see the NBA with the Prism draft and, you, you mentioned this earlier. Card prices are a lot of times dictated by how much their boxes sell for and how hard it is to get those cards. And um, some of the really tough parallels that were hobby exclusive and even the silvers, I mean, prison draft is an expensive product. Now, granted, Walmart's got them all over now, so that's going to affect it. But I think this is different than like a contender's draft. I think prison draft will probably hold its value a little bit better than the contender's draft. So, yeah, but to, well, to well be said. determined, to be determined. Indeed. Well, dude, it's been awesome. Seriously. Where can, where can folks find House of uh, Jordans and where else can can we find you on Instagram and let's close with that. Yeah,
0: one. absolutely. So uh, if you'd like to check out the House of Jordans podcast, just search House of Jordans on any of the main podcast platforms, Spotify, itunes etc or you can just put it into google but make sure to put it in quotation marks house of jordan because if you don't you're going to just see a lot of pictures of michael jordan's mansion and (laughs) then uh on instagram uh i'm at 90s basketball card stash 90s basketball card stash so perfect that's where you can find us you'll also find the links in the show notes you're the man no you are sir and it has been pretty surreal to come on to this show and i appreciate it Awesome.
1: Thank you so much. Hot takes again in four weeks.
0: We'll prove how wrong we were in all of them. (laughs) Look forward to that.
1: (laughs) All right, man. Enjoy your Sunday. See ya.